Hello there, welcome to episode 163 of Riot Act, the Alternative Music Podcast. My name's Stephen Hill. How are you doing? Hope you're good. Thanks very much for tuning in. We appreciate that. I'm joined by Renfrey Deadman, the man of the hour, the the man who has brought, single-handedly been responsible for bringing Mr. Blobby back to public consciousness and leading him to be reappraised for an entirely new generation and what a what a lovely week it's been with all that ringing in my ears that praise for mr blobby that you have inspired renfrey <laughs> i can die a happy man uh that's all <laughs> that's all i've been trying to achieve with my entire career um and now i'm done so i'm very very happy about that thank you very much for all of the response about our mr blobby broken record which was absolutely intensely lovely um really really nice to read all those responses it is. I never thought we would have got such... Think of all the records we've spoken about in the past. And I think Mr. Blobby, the album that we've done on Broken Records. On Mondays, by the way, we have a sister podcast. Um, Broken Records will be searched for the worst record ever. Put our Mr. Blobby one out recently. Renfrey managed to compare Mr. Blobby to both Pink Floyd and Swans. <laughs> in... Yeah. And he wasn't even joking. <laughs> wasn't even being flippant. <laughs> it, 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 I think it's the it's the stupidest and best podcast I've ever been involved in I think <laughs> it was really good fun we we rattled on about Mr Bobby for two hours um, which yeah. I don't think either this, of us predicted this feels like a bit of a sort of come down to be perfectly honest this show we're about to do <laughs> we're going to be talking about Twitter beef we're going to be talking about some serious music we're going to be talking about like stocks and shares and vinyl pressing plants and all kinds of like serious music industry stuff. Yeah. And really, really, I just want to, I just want to talk about Jeremy Beadle some more. I know, I know. We saw that coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was great to go back over that stuff. Um, and and uh, probably the most fun research I've ever done for a broken record because I got to lo- watch lots and lots and lots of clips of Mr. Blobby, who I think is a comedic genius. Well, the fun doesn't stop there because if you haven't subscribed to Broken Records yet, by the way, this is turned into a big advert for another podcast that we do. <laughs> but um, we've got the Crazy Frog coming up next week, so um, it won't get that much more serious. Although I feel you and I will have slightly differing views to the Crazy Frog than we did, or maybe more in aligned views with the Crazy Frog than we do with Mr. Blobby. I think. I mean, I'm happy to say right now, I fucking despise Crazy Frog. So yeah, it won't be exactly the same tone Just think as if, last time. If had you have been born in 1998, you would have had a Crazy Frog lunchbox. <laughs> this is the sad thing. I probably would have done. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we have to move on from that podcast. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't just do. I, but I bin this whole riot act nonsense <laughs> off and just just do a podcast about Mr. Blobby. Anyway, um, thanks very much for listening. And like I say, go to Broken Records. We do that uh, on this week's show. We're going to be reviewing new music from Sleep Token, from Public Service Broadcasting, from The Body and Big Brave, and from LLNN. LLNN is that how you say it? LLNN. I said it. Re- I said it really quickly. <laughs> Um, hey, guess what, guys? We've finally got off our asses and done a classic album over on our Patreon, over on our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com forward slash Act podcast. Five pound tier or five. It's actually five dollar tier. So it's not even five pound. Mm-hmm. Um, we do d- attempt to give you a classic album podcast every other week. It's been a fair old gap. 
since the last one went up, which I believe was REM. But as we record today, this morning, finally back on the horse, Slipknot's Volume 3, the Subliminal Verses, has just gone up. Massive three-hour-long deep dive into, I would say, the single most underrated record in the canon of the 21st century metal's most influential definitive and integral band is that fair yeah i think that is a very fair thing to say um i don't i doesn't even feel controversial to say that to be honest yeah no i i no i don't think i don't think so i don't think it should be i mean it did get a lot of good ratings and a lot of good press but as we discuss it is, and I think this is a, a enough of a tease to interest people. It is actually our collective favourite Slipknot record, which is mm. not common at all. Usually people go for either Slipknot or Iowa. But I think we present many cases for the defence for Volume 3 in many, many mm. ways throughout. Um, and hence it's a very interesting three-hour chat. But yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that is a... It, it's an astonishing record where Slipknot attempted something which is genuinely very very difficult and pulled it off you know they'd been thrust into the limelight they'd been thrust into a position which nobody in their right mind predicted they would ever get to and being thrust into that position is one thing but retaining that success is another thing entirely and volume three is an absolutely sterling example of a band retaining that position which was unexpected and uh, managing to continue that position in their career. I agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So that's the chat, basically. It's that, but three hours long. What yeah. Renfrew just said, but three <laughs> hours long. Pretty um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet and you'd like to hear that, please do. And if you do do that, there are a whole load of other classic albums that we have done over there waiting for you from the likes of Guns N' Roses, Pink Floyd, Weezer, Sepultura, Pixies, Depeche Mode, Opeth, Gallows, Jane's Addiction, System of Down, Foo Fighters, Beastie Boys, R.E.M., Queens of Stone Age, Cave-In, Glassjaw, Lamb of God, Nick Cave. Quite a lot. Quite a lot. A lot, a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot of content over there. I think um, Slipknot was our 38th. So we mm. really do have a lot. And, and most of those 38 are exclusive to Patreon. We've put a couple mm-hmm. out for free here and there but yeah, yeah we have them yeah uh we also did a writer's review that we released this week on meltdown by ash i think we mentioned that we were going to do that last week that went up as well if you want to hear us talking about ash's 2004 riftastic record good mm. record that great record great record. good record mm. um there are loads of writer's reviews loads just tons and that's not that's for any amount of money just a quid you can do that sign up I mean, there's loads. I can't be bothered to go through them all, to be honest. Um, What we should say as well is the next classic album, both of the people that we've done back-to-back on classic albums have been in the news. I mean, we should say that the reason Renfrey decided to pick Slipknot was kind of in the aftermath of Joey Jordison's passing. Uh, We felt like... And Joey Jordison is so amazing on that record. Absolutely. I mean, he's such an incredible presence on that record that, Mm. you know, we talk about Joey a fair bit on the special and um you know he's just just phenomenal on that record and um when joey passed away you know we wanted to kind of mark that in some way so that's why we got slipknot um but also slipknot have been in the news for her twitter beef this week with old machine gun kelly mgk 
Do you know this guy? Remember yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, I know this guy. Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, what yeah. do you think of Machine Gun Kelly? We've never talked about Machine Gun Kelly before. Well, I've never listened to his music, so I'm not mm. I'm not even going to go there. It doesn't look like it's for me, but, you know, mm. I'm not going to make that judgment as of yet because I don't know. Um, I am aware that he, he flits around genre quite a lot and um, some people... He was a rapper and now he's a pop punk man. Yeah, I mean, he's he was on the cover of Kerrang, right? Is that right? I think he was. I don't know that for to be a fact. He's definitely been featured in Kerrang. Quite. He's a been. Bit. He's played. He played Download about seven years ago. Ah, oh, right. Ages ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know. That's when he was still doing his rap music. Okay. I mean, I don't mm. know loads about him, so I'm not going to chat too much about him. To be honest, but, musically, yeah. I know nothing about <clears throat> him, but I right. I like the cut of his jib. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you like beef, though, don't you? you? Well, he's just a cocky little streak of piss isn't he really he is fucking cocky i mean that is that is undoubted i think don't mind that mate no yeah that. no no you, you you prefer it to me uh <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yeah it's fine it it's fine he basically this week he's gone on stage at riot fest just before slipknot were playing and he said something about um uh, I'm really happy that I'm what that what I'm not doing is being 50 years old and wearing a fucking mask on fucking stage, is what he said just before Slipknot played. So he had a little from the stage. He called them like old weird dudes with masks. I think is what he what he called them, mm. and um, not strictly inaccurate. <laughs> <It's> not <laughs> not strictly inaccurate. No, it's kind of weird that he was also saying, "Oh, bloody." I went and played Warp Tour and they're all wearing Vans. They're all wearing comfy shoes and they didn't look like rock stars. Well, Slipknot looked like rock I mean, which one is it? Yeah. Mm. Which one is it? Yeah. I suppose what's going on here is he's just trying to be like the sort of enfant terrible of, uh, of pop punk, which is quite a difficult thing to do when you're competing with the likes of Ian Watkins, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and, and that's what all of them in pop punk are doing. They're all straining as hard as they can to be like Ian Watkins. And um, actually Machine Gun Kelly has openly admitted that he would like to, that he, he fancies 13 and 14 year old. He's tweeted how annoyed he was. <laughs> yeah. There's this tweet going around that he did ages ago where he's like, oh, I'm really annoyed that I... 13, 14 and 15 year old girls look the way they do and it's, it's really weird and there's a clip of him saying I'm 23 when Kendall Jenner was 17 and he's going I'm 23 I'm going to go and get Kendall Jenner and it is a bit like ooh <laughs> it's not even trying to hide the fact that he's uh, that way inclined but then he's younger than his current girlfriend Megan Fox so I don't wow. know wow what that means anyway okay. i don't want to hmm. go into that obviously i shouldn't have to bring that up because obviously he plays pop punk we all know the rules uh <laughs> he has to be otherwise he wouldn't play that music would he and um uh yeah so um he did he did that and uh apparently it's something to do with Corey taylor was did a verse on his last album and then he sent him some stuff back. Corey sent some emails that he got from Travis Barker. It's all a bit like me, 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 me on, on the Twitter. And yeah. then Machine Gun Kelly's come back and said, oh, he, he did a verse on my album and it was rubbish. And I just said, can you change this and change that? And he said, no, thanks. And then Corey's sort of had a couple of pops at him in the press, like without actually mentioning him by name. It's all a bit like, I, you know. It's very playground. Just, 
It is a bit, isn't it? I mean, I, yeah, it is a bit. I mean, I don't really think it. I don't really. I don't really know why I've brought this up. Only because we we're talking about <laughs> Slipknot. <laughs> As as we've been doing this story, I've been wondering that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know why I brought this up. Because everyone else is talking about it. I suppose I was just like, oh, well, everyone else is talking about it. Let's just be the same as everyone else. Let's just fall in line. Oh, I, lo- I love a mule now. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But basically, I mean, he's a mouthy fucker, isn't he, this geezer? And I yeah. thought it was just quite... He's mouthed off at Eminem. He's mouthed off at... Slipknot, he's just mouthy. Yeah. I don't know anything about his music. It's funny when you get people out like where you go, I, all I know about you is the fact that you're quite mouthy. The, uh, but the thing is, it re- it might not put you off, but it really just puts me off. I remember this with like the Avenged Sevenfold effect, like them just being so gobby in the press that I was just like, Ugh, I don't want to listen to you. And actually, like, I've come round to Avenged Sevenfold a fair amount like these days. I actually... Really not. Matt, Matt Shadows is, can I just say, I've interviewed Matt Shadows and he's fucking lovely. He's yeah. fucking lovely. Well, they really pulled their fingers out and maybe post City of Evil, possibly, they kind of went, yeah, this isn't actually a good look for us, is it? Us kind of wanging on about how we're amazing. I think it was after, I, I think I think it was after the Rev died that they was it that? Okay. probably, you know, were like, this are probably more important things to, for us to focus on than, yes. you know, sort of being obnoxious they are much more likable in interviews now than they were then that is definitely the case and and yeah like i now i mean i think city of evil's a fucking amazing record i think the stage is mm. fucking great you know yep. i like i can i pick and choose with the Venice sevenfold but when when they do good they do very 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 good indeed um but yeah that gobby attitude has put me off that kind of thing in the past so i'm like not particularly i mean it doesn't even sound it really doesn't sound like machine gun kelly's for me anyway so i don't think it's a massive loss but yeah it'll it'll keep him in the press for a few few months if he's gobby won't it and then he'll have to come up with something else like good songs or something try that nah nah he'll just go drake's got a double chin again i don't want to turn this into like fucking state of twitter podcast but this whole debate that's been happening online the last few days of who was bigger drake or michael jackson oh in my his prime god that was hilarious i mean i know you like drake some of you but come on like that's just you can't even have that conversation can uh, you like no i mean it's only been like f- f- seven years people don't even I can't remember last time anyone even mentioned hotline bling i know jake's got other songs before you fucking at me i know he's got other songs i know he's big well i didn't know he has other songs but i still hear man in the mirror being talked about all yeah. the fucking time it, the, what, what a ridiculous thing to start mm. trending absolutely insane so, I, I, what, I'm trying to work out what was a better show the sopranos or noel's house party uh, well that is a tough one that is probably t- that's actually tougher to work out than what i've just said um <laughs> so let's, but anyway the next if you go to our patreon page in a little while the next special we will be doing and i'm kind of kicking myself because we're going to do the miseducation of lauren hill and i came out and said it i just came out and said it but actually what i could have done and what i probably should have done with the news of this week 
is I should have done the Fuji's, the score, because it's the 25th anniversary of the score. And amazingly, Renfrey, I didn't see this coming at all. And especially because I've been reading a lot about Lauren Hill recently, a lot of interviews, I've been reading up on the madness that surrounded her in the aftermath of the success of that record. I'm really looking forward to doing this record because A, it is, it's just a stuperbly brilliant record. Stuperbly, it's not a word. Superbly <laughs> brilliant record. And also, unbelievably interesting. I'm fascinated by Lauren Hill. Mm. Really, really fascinated by her as a character. Um, the Fugees are going to tour the world. The first shows in 15 years. Um, in just 12 cities. They're doing London, the O2 in London, which would be great, I'm sure. I'm desperate to get a ticket for that um lauren hill said in a statement the fujis have a complex but impactful history i decided to honor the significant project its anniversary and the fans who appreciated the music by creating a peaceful platform where we could unite perform the music we loved and set an example of reconciliation for the world i mean bloody hell uh i thought they were just gonna do some gigs but it turns <laughs> out they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're lauren i mean like lauren hill doesn't fucking mince her words either she's another person who doesn't mince her words and um that's a pretty incredible statement to make yeah yeah i mean it, it, it's very surreptitious isn't it all this happening as we're um doing miseducation of lauren hill um mm. i think uh I, I suppose it's surprising on one hand because Lauren Hill's been quite reclusive, hasn't she? I mean, there was a big deal made out of the fact that she was on that NAS record. Um, yeah. And and all that sort of thing. So do you think there's any danger of um, there being any incidences which make these dates not happen? Is that a concern for you at all? Or is that not a well, concern in the slightest? She played the O2 um, okay. a couple of years a few years ago I think during the 20th anniversary of the miseducation of Lauren Hill which I tried to get tickets to I couldn't get tickets so I'm going to desperately try and get um, tickets for this but no I think uh, I mean Lauren Hill's an interesting character like I said a really interesting character and I mean as we've, we've the only time we've really properly spoken about her is on Broken Records yeah and felt like a shame uh, hopefully this will redress the balance because we were kind of like oh man you know we kind of we had to look into a lot of the drama and hopefully you know the miseducation of lauren hill is an album that it's kind of beset by a lot of drama but it's kind of and inspired by a lot of drama but the art itself is amazing whereas the mtv thing was you know like she just fucking vanished after that like she's never released a proper follow-up to that debut album mm. the fujis obviously as she sort of hinted at there they definitely don't get on <laughs> like do you know what i mean they they definitely don't get on so it is a proper like a legit surprise i mean it would be i'm trying to think of another band i mean i guess it would be like a fleet you know fleetwood mac reform didn't they no one probably mm. would have would have been like oh really and like you know we've had abba reforming recently and there was yeah. a lot of like interpersonal tension between those people so i don't know man mm. i don't know i i mean i would like to think it's been announced and they're only doing you know, um, a, a very, very limited amount of shows. Mm. You know, a very, very limited amount of shows. It's not like they're going on tour for six months or something and they're going to be playing, you know, all over the place. They're just doing a few shows here and there. You think they'll just so, get in and get out kind of thing? I think get in, get out, set, quote unquote, celebrate the record, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. aka make a fucking shitload of money from it. <laughs> and, um, yes. <laughs> and uh and fuck off i'm do you know what this is how desperate i am to to get tickets for 
for this gig I'm not even going to give you the listener the date to the O2 Arena show. You can look, <laughs> look it up yourself, but I don't want you taking my ticket for well, <laughs> for the Fuji's. Well, so, um, so they are playing in London, but you know, um, you'll be getting this Friday morning. And if you listen to it post ten o'clock, if you get to this point post ten o'clock, it's probably already sold out at this point. So I suppose I maybe it's the sixth of December. Good luck. <laughs> If any of you cunts get tickets and you tweet me, ha, ah, I got a ticket anyway. Well, <laughs> thanks very much. Um, <laughs> it's nice to, nice to feel like we're providing a service to the listeners. <laughs> You've missed out on tickets already, mate. Get over it. It's not happening. <laughs> anyway, that's happening. So, yeah, Slipknot's out now. Lauren Hill will be up, coming up after that. And um, in other news... Uh, this, Renfrey, is a story that I saw the other day and I thought this feels like something that we should talk about because it is kind of a serious thing and I guess it does have some sort of implications to the music industry and it certainly says something about the music industry but I'm going to fess up before we go into this story. I don't read the Financial Times. I don't study the FTSE 500. I am not an investor. I am not a financial expert in any way. Um... I don't even have a strategy for deal or no deal, as we discussed <laughs> earlier this week. So, uh, you know, so this may mean very little to me, but I did see... Um, I think what Steve is trying to say, uh, and what we're trying to caveat this with, is we don't fully understand this story, although there are little bits that we're going to pick out from it and discuss anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, just just because it's a pretty big thing, right? So I got an email with a headline uh, from, from Music Week and it said, UMG shares saw 38% as Sir Lucian Grange predicts new wave of music consumption. I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. Um, UMG are Universal, Universal music, music Group, Group, by the way. Yeah. So, so Universal... One of the, one of the biggest... Um, major labels the biggest in, yes they must be the biggest actually the biggest mm -hmm. ma uh, major label uh, in the music industry um, there are only three major labels now there's Universal Sony and Warner Warner, Warner. yes mm -hmm. and um, yeah and Universal are the biggest by um, mm -hmm. fraction I believe but they are the biggest uh, in terms of actual um, uh, the, the, the way the pie is sliced I mean, I've got. Mm -hmm. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna um, tell you who has worked this out in a minute. But there's the thing that we'll be referencing in a little bit. Uh, the big three account for sixty nine percent of recorded music revenue. That is Sony, Warner, and Universal. Warner account for sixteen percent of all um, uh, revenue. Sony twenty one percent. Universal thirty two percent. Universal Music thirty two percent of all recorded music revenue comes from that source mm. so it's quite big right mm. now um they actually um debuted on the uh on the Euronet exchange on the 21st of september um as they launched uh they were valued at 33.5 billion euros and during the first few hours of trading their market valuation soared to above 46 billion euros right that's quite a lot of money that's an awful lot of money yeah it's an awful lot of money and while i was kind of you know there's there's this thing here um it says it's a triumph for ceo and chairman lucian grange who you know obviously is the ceo and chairman of universal music there's a lot of guff here about um you know markets and stuff which i don't particularly understand but i found something on twitter and there's a gentleman called dan runcy who um 
who who has founded something called Trapital, and he appears to be some kind of music industry um, uh, financier. You know, he's he's breaking down the actual business of the music business um, from from what it appears to be, and he's written a very detailed Twitter thread, um, and this was kind of on the day that uh, the Universal Music Group went public. It said. Universal Music Group goes public tomorrow. Expected valuation is $39 billion, but it could be higher. Universal CEO Lucian Grange will get at least $150 million. If tomorrow's valuation hits $50 billion, he gets $210 million. A click of a finger, just like that. There he is. He mm. gets that money. That, uh, I mean, I don't really know what all of this means. And I've read mm. Dan's um he 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 wrote a piece on you know the kind of what he calls the arms race of the three major labels in mm -hmm. the current climate of the music industry at the moment and their kind of fight for your attention and some of it's very interesting i'm not going to pretend like i understand all of it <laughs> but um it's very very interesting um but he's written this thread and you know, like I say, we don't know what it is, but like what a lot of it is referring to, or we can't kind of talk to you about exactly what those shares are or how they will play out or, or what that means for the music industry. But what I would say is we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about how, you know, the music industry gravy train left town over a decade ago. Mm. Not for everyone, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it's very much um, rolling down that track. Uh, a, a steady pace for some people because one of the things actually that this twitter um thread throws up is a, about 20 hours after he <laughs> after he um first tweeted it he added umg shares are up 40 percent in early trading valuation is 55 billion dollars right now now that 210 million payout estimate for grange was low he would get 270 million dollars if umg closes at 60 billion so He's closer to a kind of two hundred and fifty million dollar payout. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there is money in the music industry. It's just at the top, and it doesn't really filter down. I mean, hey, look, this is true of practically all industries in the world, so this isn't unique to the music industry. But yeah, um, I don't know where where do you go with this apart from uh, life's not fair. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's. There are people who are still making quite big bucks in the music industry, to say the least. I mean, to get $250 million in one day, and obviously it's a one-off, but, you know, that's um, that's a hell of a lot of booty. It is. Mm. It really is. I mean, you know, that... So, yeah, it's just mad to me. Like, I mean, I guess, you know, I guess I shouldn't be surprised when you read something like, you know, 32% of the entire revenue recorded from the music industry comes from that source yeah i mean independence is actually this independence are 31 percent and universal 32 percent so yeah. you think of all the indie labels that we ever talk about and more if you combine them all yeah they still don't make as much as universal music yeah um and and i guess like to an extent it's kind of always been sort of that way but when you speak to you know i guess when you get right down when you, when you look at that at the top end of it and then you get down to like people we know in bands people we know who run labels and distros and venues and, and all this kind of stuff i mean 
like i know people i think i said that before i know people in bands big bands and i'm not talking about bands who we think are big I'm, you know i'm talking about bands that literally every single one of you would know like a hundred percent of the people listening to this podcast you would know a song by that band and you would have seen them playing a main stage festival set or been aware of them playing a main stage festival set and who play to thousands like four or five thousand people a night i know people in those bands who also have to still work at like in a pub part-time and stuff mm. and I don't know if that would have been the case. Well, it definitely wouldn't have been the case previously. If you go and see a band at Brixton Academy back in the in the nineties or the early two thousands, that was their job, right? Yeah. That was their only job. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I'm not talking about support bands either. Here, I'm talking about like literal headline fucking bands in 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 these bands. And you know, it, it's I don't know. It's just mad to me. Just fucking mad. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, it's funny to have this story in the news section because it's not really news that bands and creative no. types get fucked over all the time. Um, but I think it just it just highlights the absolute, it highlights what I guess what people probably assumed. Yes, was precisely. That the, the music industry hasn't run out of money. Mm. The mm. music industry has just decided to keep most of its money for mm. a very small select group of incredibly well-off wealthy and uh high up people just decided just to keep its money for the one percent basically yeah mm. yeah yeah so anyway i hope lucian grange enjoys his money <laughs> uh i he's got less than kanye does That's he one thing there we go so yeah wow well, so you know for him <laughs> he's the boss of someone who he's poorer than <laughs> even though he's just made 270 million dollars yeah oh but there's no money in the music industry there's no money <laughs> no 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 um mate here's a headline that i feel like is couldn't be more of a dream headline for you unless it was you know fucking mogwai and mr blobby are doing a headline co-headlining set at arc tangent oh my god uh, that would be good <laughs> yeah liam gallagher cancels belfast show following helico- a helicopter accident liam gallagher after his uh appearance at the isle of Wight festival this weekend f- fell out of a helicopter <laughs> Like that bloke in Scarface. Wait, <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, before before we say anything, I think we should probably say that Liam Gallagher's fine. I'm assuming. Uh, well, he's got a bad. He's got a bad nose. He's, ooh, he tweeted he a picture of himself a with a plaster his nose, saying, "So check this out. I fell out the helicopter last night. You couldn't write it all good. Who said R and R is dead? Keith Moon, eat your drum skin out. Come on, you know LG." X. Uh, he spelt right, R I T E. Oh God. Good. And then a picture of his face, and he's got what appears to be um, a plaster. He's got a couple of scabs, and he's got like Pritchdick on his head as well. <laughs> some just white stuff. Not looking his best. I've got to be honest. I'm assuming he fell out of the helicopter from a not particularly high height. Yeah, I would assume so. Are there details on that? I mean, did he fall from three feet? Did he fall from 30 feet? Like, I mean, 30 feet, he'd be a lot more damaged than that. So, <clears throat> yeah. What was, I... the, was the helicopter on the ground? I bet the helicopter was on the fucking ground when he fell out of it. Absolute well, twat. Well, it said he's also, he's then, because he's, he's cancelled this gig in Ireland and he was like, oh, I've bashed my face up and the doctor says I've got a rest. 
Um, I mean, it doesn't really say how far he fell. I can't really find any. Just said he had a fall from a helicopter. I mean, you think like that's not a normal thing. They're making that seem like a normal thing, and it's not. It's not quite running over your own foot with your car as happened to. No. Was it the guy from Boyzone? No, you've got this. You got the entire. I like how you've got this as wrong as like a oh, man would get it. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> it was Brian Harvey That's from it. from uh, East Seventeen who yeah. ran over his own pelvis. <laughs> and do you know why he was he was um, trying to catch a baked potato? <laughs> I remember. No, no, it's not as stupid as that. To be fair, <laughs> is that true? Is that true that he was trying to catch a baked potato <laughs> i just made that up have i made that up the baked potato bit <laughs> it makes it funnier I, 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 I just assumed i just assumed that, that was true and everyone knew that and as i said it i was like that's so stupid he's a baked potato in a that can't be true. That, I, don't I, I don't believe my own facts. That can't be true. <laughs> Hold on, I've got, to, I've got to Google this. I've got to Google Brian Harvey baked potato. <laughs> it comes. <laughs> Brian, Brian Harvey blames potatoes for bizarre car accident. Hold on, I can, Okay, okay. I'm not. I told you. I'm not. I told you. I'm not making this up. It's 2005. Troubled reality TV star Brian Harvey is providing an, ast- an astonishing explanation for the bizarre. This is news from 16 years ago. Um, <laughs> on the forefront of news, right? Uh, bizarre and terrifying accident in which he was run over by his own Mercedes, claiming it was caused by a meal of three giant baked potatoes. Three? Who has three baked potatoes, you fat get? I'm full after one and a half, and I am a fat get. Harvey, speaking for the first time about the incident that nearly cost him his life, says he fell under the car as he let out the driver's back door to be sick because he'd eaten so much and the the Mercedes rolled over him. He fractured his pelvis in seven places, broke his ribs and punctured his lungs. He lay unconscious for three weeks and had to endure 12 hours of surgery as doctors battled to rebuild his shattered frame. Harvey, 30, is now in a wheelchair with external steel frames still supported by his fragile pelvis. Internally, he is held together by a selection of clamps, bars and pins. Miraculously, doctors say he will probably make a full recovery. Uh, and he did. Um, he didn't drop a baked potato out of his car and catch it. And he wasn't in boy zone. This has suddenly he felt... break his leg. This suddenly feels like it's turned into an E17 classic album. <laughs> yeah, which we will be doing at some point, by the way. We'll be doing Steam at some point. Um, yeah, so actually, Liam Gallagher, falling on your face out of a helicopter from like as you're jumping out of it from a foot and having to cancel one gig, and you're saying, that, oh, I'm so rock and roll, compared to Brian Harvey... <laughs> you ain't shit, mate. You're, not, you're, you're, you're Machine Gun Kelly. You're nothing. You're nothing. <laughs> But anyway, get well soon, Liam. Uh, The last bit of news that I wanted to bring up was um, Slam Dunk. I'm only bringing this up because, yeah, Alexis on Fire, the used one year's motion city signs like Hot Milk, Meet Me at the Altar, and many more are playing Slam Dunk in 2022. But Rancid are playing. Rancid are playing Slam Dunk, Renfrey. Yeah. 
This is um, know, rare. Do you know how far up my ass I stuck my scrotum when I heard about this? <laughs> right up. All right, full inch then. Yeah. Well, I got a fairly normal size. <laughs> size scrotum. <laughs> Make out like I've got a really tiny pair of testicles. It's because I could. This is you getting your own back for me bullying you about your Mr. Blobby lunchbox. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> um, I, I, I have to say, I'm not sure I've been this excited about a band being announced for a festival since Tool at Download. Wow. Wow. Uh, so, fill us in a little bit. So, Rancid, like, never really play festivals in this country. Is that true? The last time, I believe, they would have played a festival. They, did, they supported Green Day at that BST thing. That's not a festival. Yeah. Um, they did the 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 the. the Blackpool, whatever it's called, Rebellion, mm. about five, four or five years ago. Must might have been even more than that, actually. Anyway, yeah, they did it a few years ago. And it was, you know, like hardly anyone goes to that comparatively. Like, you know, I know it's got, it's, it's indoors and stuff. Outdoor actual festival. Now, I know for a fact, I hope they don't mind me saying this, Alan Day and Andy Coppin of Download and Sonosphere fame, both of them, every time I see them, I go, get Rancid on, why don't you get Rancid on? And they always say to me, we, we fucking ask them every year. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Alan, I know, is a massive fan of Rancid. And he's like, I ask them every fucking year, every mm. year. And Andy Coppins always said to me, like, because I'm always like, get Rancid. And he's like, mate, I ask them all the time. Yeah. And they won't do it. So quite why they've picked Slam Dunk, I don't know. I guess they get the headline. That might be one of the reasons. Um, the headline but it's one of the they're not like headlining headlining are they headlining. I think they'll probably be uh, well it, it, will they do the punk in Droblick stage yeah that, that, that's and, what I assumed it would be something like yeah, that you can't have the no effects headline in the punk in Droblick stage forever can you it's like no. you know gotta get a different headline of, of that ilk and they seem like obviously the, the most obvious pick for that but I am fucking delighted by that I mean I have to say it's weird isn't it because Slam Dunk a festival where it's hard to go to that festival and not feel like some sort of dad picking their kids up at yes. this point for me but i might turn up just before rancid come on and because nothing there's not gonna be anything else i mean you like to see alexis on fire so we should probably say alexis on fire is a good booking too right yeah i think alexis is a great booking um really fantastic booking for that festival um i mean i i i'm really not a fan of slam dunk i must say i always feel very 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 old when i go to slam dunk and i don't think the people who operate it really care about the people who were there or anything like that i don't like it's not like a good festival really um and they are constantly booking nonces uh and not really caring about it so you know i have a few issues with slam dunk i'm not sure if rancid or alexis is enough for me to wade through that so we went we went a few years ago didn't we because like glass jaw were playing in gallows and oh it was it was like it turnstile yeah it was a really good day they coordinated a really good day on one stage and it was like all right it's probably menzingers wasn't it men yeah i think menzingers were playing like that it was very good actually uh the curation the everything else about it was fucking stupid um but yeah um i'm i'm happy you're happy uh would you prefer a like tour instead yeah I'm hoping they do that as well, to be honest. I mean, they would like to do that. If, Rancid is the kind of band, if they do a tour, I'd go and watch like four nights of it. Then one of my favourite live bands ever because they're just like, they're the, the only band who, I think they're the only band I can't stop. Like, I come out of Mosh Pit, Mosh Pit Retirement for that. Big time. I was always under the impression, and I've not got this impression from you, but I was always under the impression generally 
that they were very hit and miss live. I don't know who told you that. Oh. Maybe I'm getting confused. Who told you that? Don't know. Maybe I'm getting confused with like I Some mean I know cretin. I I know no effects are very hit and miss live. Like you can see them and they can be revelatory and you can see them and they can be they can play two songs. I've I've seen Rancid hold on, I've seen Rancid one like one, two, three, four, five I've seen Rancid about nine times. Because okay. they don't come over loads. I think the last time they did a full-blown UK tour, I saw three dates on that tour. Mm-hmm. So I saw them all in one big sort of chunk. I've seen them at Reading a couple of times as well. The first time I ever saw them at Reading, Reading 98, I want to say, uh, they were absolutely astonishingly great. They were also the last band that I saw at the now-defunct London uh, London uh, Astoria. Ah, the day days. of my it was actually and I don't want to get too like oh, about it and I'm totes emotion but I went from my granddad's funeral to see Rancid with two of my best mates and it was like one of the most joyously cathartic uplifting experiences I've ever had I had a really hard day and I went to Rancid and I, I, I think that's why I like I've always loved that, that band but I feel like that might have been the day where I was like I treasure this band like yeah like they really mean a hell of a lot to me personally, mm. and I don't talk about them that much. I guess I think I used to, but I haven't really thought about them for ages because they've not, just not really been around. They're not doing. Are and they, their last yeah. few albums have been like you know you kind of get their albums down. You're like yeah they're fine. You know they sound a bit like but that kind of that that glory period of the '90s for the Rancid, let's go, life won't wait, and obviously out come the walls. Just unbelievable, unbelievable. Like so brilliantly just great great music maybe this is them starting up a album cycle yeah maybe we'll just have mm. to see there's me going on about the 90s again hello slip slip not the fuji's rancid that's all i like <laughs> never any new music <laughs> fuck new music shove it up your ass that's actually not true i think 2020 has turned out to be an incredibly good year isn't it 2021 has been the fucking and 2021 which yeah. is the year we're in yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah no i yeah. mean and and it's not like it's not stopping at all, is it? Like it is. I know, not you know it's weird. I I got chatting to um, lovely Joe Nan, little Joe Nan oh, from Nuclear Blast Nan. on the Twitter, and he was going to me. Oh, have you heard that? We and we got talking about the LLN LLNN album mm. that is just coming out that we're about to review in a little bit. And he was like, oh, "Have you heard the Portrait of Guilt album?" I was like, "Yeah, I have been sent that." So what we do actually, we do get sent stuff a little bit early, so we're quite lucky that we get to kind of. So I've obviously heard, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I've heard that." And that so we always. It's time we don't get to go. Like we're super excited about this thing that's coming out, but that's coming out. I know you've been sent the new every time I die, Renfrew. Mm, Lucky, I haven't yeah. got that yet. Yes, I can't exciting. really say anything, but yes, no. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like heavy music. Is it like Frontier have got a new song coming out as well? I know yes. you're a fan of that. Oh yes, that's absolutely. Exciting. Have you heard that yet? No, I, you cut out there, mate. Hold on. Can you hear me? I can't really hear. I feel like there's some fucking buzz on the. Hold on.
Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear that you now. So, that was weird. So I'm like, I just got a weird noise on my thing. Anyway, no, I haven't heard the new Frontier song, but um, I imagine people will like it, right? Oh, that's right. Good. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Right, right. Good. Mm. I mean, if you have heard it uh, recently, then let us know if you think it's any good. Mm. Um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it could be quite exciting. Anyway, that's the news. Quite a long news portion this week, mm. wasn't it? It was quite long, but that's okay. There's a lot. But, going uh, that's on. okay. There's a lot going on. I mean, look, we didn't want to skip over the the news about Brian Harvey, so <laughs> um, from 16 years ago. Uh, <laughs> let's start um, our review section. Let's start it with Sleep Token. Mm. I think that's the place to start. Mm-hmm. Sleep Token. This place will become your tomb. Is the name of the second full length album from the mysterious pop metal collective, the follow up to their 2019 debut album Sundowning, which um, has been get, got kind of what should we call it rave reviews? I mean, certainly Sleep Token themselves have garnered an incredibly uh, passionate, devoted fan base over the last few years undoubtedly i think whatever you think of this band and we have differing opinions on this band i think i don't think they're uh i was about to say i don't think they're wildly different although i don't know maybe they are but it's hard to deny that sleep token have had an incredible level of success in a relatively short space of time so this is a band who formed five years ago they only formed in 2016 um and in that time well i mean they have just announced a headline well actually a few a few weeks ago they announced a headline tour and they're playing shepherd's bush empire in london which is 2000 capacity um Mm -hmm. and that's ahead of the release of this record of course as it's out today um and that's astonishing growth after a relatively short space of time can you think of like what other bands have had that kind of growth after just one album cycle at the beginning of their second album cycle what recently yeah let's say in the last 10 years let's say creeper uh yeah creeper probably have yeah yeah Mm -hmm. creeper have yeah yeah um i can't think of any other ones off the top of my head there we go so we're talking about a creeper type-esque story and actually to be fair i think in terms of the passion of the fans it is actually quite a similar thing i have to confess i've not actually made the creeper sleep token comparison before and there's not a lot to do with it music you know there's not a lot in common musically certainly the way that they present themselves and the way that they try to have a kind of exterior world outside of the music and and i think yes the reaction of the fans they they really really are incredibly passionate i remember going to see sleep token before they'd even released an album at st pancras old church in london which is a tiny 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 little church i think it holds 120 people this gig had sold out i think one of the guys working for sleep token there told me it sold out in 17 seconds um and it really felt special like it felt uh, it was the first time that I saw Sleep Token and, and I found them very hit and miss life I have to say there's been times I've seen them where it really hasn't done anything for me at all but when it does they are pretty spectacular and the amount of passion and the amount of people who there were people like in tears in the pews watching that show it was really really something very very uh odd but very special indeed i thought and i got a very similar vibe from the islington academy 
is linked to an assembly hall show that they did i reviewed for metal hammer um, where it really mm-hmm. felt like something was happening there was something yeah. that people really responded to with this band um well that's definitely true yes but you've had your criticisms of mm. sleep token in the past and there are criticisms and there are there are things to uh be concerned about it's probably a little ott but you know there's, there's things to to bring up in that realm um do you want to go over those now yeah well first of all i was gonna say I've, i just picked up the new issue of metal hammer this this morning actually renfrey and your review of this record is in here and i it won't is. say what how much you gave it but you are throwing out some pretty pretty big names in this review i have to say massive mm. attack mm. bon Iver, radiohead the cinematic orchestra um uh, bands who have nothing to do with metal in any way whatsoever i would say all of those bands collectively have zero percent metal in their entire genetic makeup and yet um obviously that does that doesn't mean that sleep token can't take influence of them or don't have elements of them but when you're making comparisons to those kind of bands obviously it does mean that you know it's a slightly different thing to your usual metal artist if as you even say yourself in this review if they even are a metal band mm. um I think on the last record, I kind of called it Meshuggah meets Katy, pa- Katy Perry. And I think that sounds good on paper. Yeah. I do. Um, I think that sounds good on paper. Mm. But um, sometimes really, really weird ideas that don't look good on paper can actually... Tra- I, mean, I think we're going to talk about one in a little bit, actually, if you said to me, like, oh, let's get two, like, crushing doom bands and post-metal... Uh, do- do- doom band a post-metal band to make a, a, a kind album. of an, Amer- an americana <laughs> folk album i'd go eh, probably not <laughs> yeah, yeah but spoiler you know but yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah but then um meshuggah riffs with katy perry pop choruses mm. it's a great idea that's mm. um that's uh an updated version of ginger wild arts abba vocals with metallica's riffs Absolutely. and yeah. look how good the bloody the wild hearts are yeah. um so it sounds good on paper and he's got a good voice but you know Great voice so's rag and bone man but we probably wouldn't cover him um and people are going mad for this uh they you know say shepherd's Fish empire they recently headlined the heavy music awards headline the second stage at the download pilot as well yeah i'm aware people are going pretty fucking mad for this band um my criticism i think previously was uh, i'm not sure the individual elements like katie perry is it certainly was unlike you know recent stuff but certainly was a, an absolutely tremendous pop star mm-hmm. and the sugar are the greatest example of you know gent tech metal whatever you want to call it that thing polyrhythmic led eight stringed chug 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 metal that you can that there is they are the masters of that um so the bar's really fucking high the bar's really high and i think if you gotta be able to hit at least one of them to that level to really uh for me to really kind of um to justify the hype in that way maybe i'm doing that thing which you know i sort of have a go at you for doing sometimes which is going is looking at the hype and going well why 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 is the hype this big and actually i'm gonna say you've sort of touched on the creeper sleep token similarities and although i can see why someone would be 
Like Sleep Token are more mysterious than Creeper, although Creeper are quite mysterious. But Creeper do interviews. Like Sleep Token don't even do interviews. No, no one knows who it is. I actually think that within the realm of metal, it's good to have a band like Sleep Token because they are at least interesting. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You go back 10 years in metal and you think, well, fucking interviewing Rise to Remain, five blokes in T-shirts, you know, yeah. it, it all look exactly the same, playing music that sounds exactly the same as yeah. every other band that sounds exactly the same. Like, at least now you can look at Code Orange, Venom Prison, Employed to Serve, Sleep Token. Yeah, exactly. I alien weaponry even who you know how that i know you're not a fan of mm. them and i think it's been a bit not a great response to their new record but still mm. um and you know we go through these bands all the time and we say you know that there is there is character and personality in stuff like the who yes right who i don't even really care for particularly but you look at that and go they've got an incredibly strong identity great and that's something where i look at sleep token and i go yeah you kind of justify your your place in in that scene because of how strong your image is well for all of um, the detractors of sleep tokens image um i do actually think they pull that stuff off really well i do actually think it looks very good on stage and all that kind of thing um i mean some of their stuff about you know worship and rituals and all that stuff i find ever so slightly irksome but it's not like not enough for me to be like fuck this band or anything like that um <clears throat> i also think they have quite a strong identity um, something we talk about quite a bit, but I think largely through Vessel's voice, um, it does feel like Sleep Token. You know, this is a Sleep Token-esque thing. And I think that thing that you were talking about, about the Meshuggah stuff and the Katy Perry stuff, it felt a lot more bolted on on previous um, Sleep Token releases. Like, this is part A, this is the Katy Perry stuff, and then here's the part where we cut to part B. And I think something that they have gone some way to address on this record is making those joins a little bit more organic um, so that it's not quite as clear where those two parts sort of begin and end. I think as a result of that, it's um, it's kind of, that's kind of refining their identity and making it a little bit clearer on this album i mean overall broadly for that reason and that reason alone i think this is a more successful album than sundowning um, because it feels like they've integrated the two pillars of what they do so much better on this record than they did mm. on the last one yeah i mean just as a little spoiler i think this record is better than the first one definitely Yay um the opening song uh atlantic sounds like it should be the sort of thing that i hate um it sounds like the opening of the brits or some shit it sounds like james <laughs> arthur but it's actually a really good song i think his yeah. voice as i said is really great uh yeah. the piano ballady stuff is actually really good and it's it really is. when the riff starts coming in i'm like yeah it's pretty impressive opening to this record i i think atlantic is a good example of um i mean actually at first when i pressed play on the record i was like okay this is a very good example of something i've already heard you do because that is actually quite part a into part b but again mm. the joins are less obvious so i just felt like it was like uh a nod to what they've done already it's like let's get that out of the way like this is we're still doing this but then as the record goes on you hear other flavors and other colors come in as well which is what they needed to do i think because otherwise i think there could have been there's been a few accusations of them being a bit of a one-trick pony musically and i think those accusations could have had 
weight added to them if this had been a repeat of sundowning but i don't think it is and i think that's vital in their success and continued success okay um you don't seem so sure <laughs> i'm not i'm not actually no, this is so there's stuff like there's a massive riff on hypnosis and it gets a mm. bit more sling they're good when they're slinky i like the kind of the song called mine which is a bit kind of ho-hum and plinky plonky and but the end bit strange add some strange enter shikari-esque yeah bits into it which i'm not entirely sure work i will admit i i think they there's some cool kind of eastern rhythmic parts in that sort of eastern mysticism in that song but they also borrow from what i consider to be some of the worst aspects of the modern pop music um there's only bits and bobs here that i'm like oh i like you know this and that like the first sort of half of the album i'm like oh that's like like that has this really cool outro with these really wicked drum patterns um and i think the piano for the most part the piano and the voice sort of steal the records yeah for the most part um but it's stuff like like um the love you want it's a bit sam fender isn't it sometimes it does get a bit sappy yeah um i think sleep token have always had that uh to be honest with you i think it's something that their fans really respond very positively to um Mm. and i don't mind it that much because i think it's actually done to a to a high standard um Mm. but i can understand why that would be a barrier to entry for some people for people who are here for the heavier stuff i can understand why that would be anathema e uh it doesn't bother me particularly i think you know there are some really beautiful i i think you're right like there's some really beautiful tender moments on the album distractions got that looping piano motif and orchestral swells which really do sound like kid a slash amnesiac era radiohead um and it was descending that i think i pointed out as the massive attack style song you know yeah Um, i I mean that that is really good really good see i think that song is it's a i've put down it's a sizzler a sexy sizzle of a song (laughs) and it's got a really good bass throb on it and it kind of adds and evolves as it progresses and i thought it's one of the best songs on the record personally yeah i'd go with that yeah, I think it's fantastic. I really, really like Telomeras uh, as well, with its road synth and its like slow hand Eric Clapton-esque guitar solo. I think Missing Limbs closes the album beautifully, actually, with just a really tender, finger-picked kind of ballad. Um, and I think Vessel's vocal lifts it above that schmaltzy, sentimental thing that it could have been smothered with. Um there are definitely points on this record where they try something and they don't pull it off. Uh, what's the song that's really Bon Ivory? Oh, Fall For Me. Fall For Me, yeah. They go for that kind of... It's like a bad cast-off from 808s and Heartbreak. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not good, it's, it, like, th- th- There are things that they attempt on this record which they do not pull off. And, and I mean, yeah, I thought they were going for more of a Bon Iver thing. 808s and Heartbreaks could be it as well, but... It just didn't. It it just doesn't have the depth of probably either of those. I don't remember A O Eight Heartbreaks that much, apart from I didn't particularly like it. But you know, I, I it probably doesn't even have the depth of the stuff on that record. You know, it just feels a bit 
wishy-washy and not really necessary. Um, I mean, yeah. I but mean, I, th- he, I, I it, personally think they get more right on this record than they get wrong overall, personally. Okay. I mean, I don't mind this record. Mm. And I do think it's probably better than the first one. And I actually feel like I quite liked, I liked it quite a bit when I had it on in the background. So when I put it on in the background and it was on, I was like, oh, this is good. This, this is actually really good. But when I sat down to properly listen to it and dissect it and write my notes on it about what was kind of good about it and what was bad about it, um, and that's obviously, as we've spoken before, that's what we're trying to do. And that's when the problems with the record sort of started for me. I think everything on the surface about this album is great. Mm. Well, if it's on in the background, it sounds lovely and it's just nice and you can tell everyone's very talented who's involved with it. But when you dig a little deeper... I feel like dynamically it's all very similar yeah. i think the riffs are 50 50 between really great and completely nondescript mm. i think there are too many fucking ballads on here mm-hmm. and those and too many of those ballads do not have big enough hooks mm-hmm. i think a lot of the ideas are very samey i mean i put down like <clears throat> i mean i said about like what was it the um the love you want i wasn't sure about and then it went to fall for me and then Alkaline, which I think sort of sounds like Don Broco gone serious, I've put. a bad thing at all. I <laughs> no, think the riff like that Alkaline. comes in is one of the best riffs on the record. Mm. And when the big groove part comes in, I was like, this feels like you're getting a good idea coming. Mm. But then it just sort of ends. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then you get distraction, which is good. Um, and... Uh, well, no, sorry, distraction, which starts with an electro pulse, which I thought was quite good. Yeah. And then I was just like, oh, not another fucking ballad. Mm. Not another ballady one. And it just sort of passed me by. And, you know, you mentioned tele, um, uh, Telemeres. Mm. And again, I was like, it's another fucking ballad. And straight away I was like, oh. I mean, it gets a little bit more energetic towards the end. And it really sounds like something as well. It re- it's dry. I, can't, I, I mm. still can't place what it sounds like, but it really sounds like something. It's annoying me how much it sounds like something I can't, I, but I can't work out what it is it sounds like. But I keep going, oh my God, that sounds just like, and I can't work out what it is. That's and that's not, a bad, that's not a bad thing, but I don't know what it is. Like, yeah. High Water, I think is really good. It's the opposite of what I was just saying. It's a really unusual vocal hook, which is really good. Mm. I don't want to sort of go, what is, it? that sounds like something, but I don't know what it is. And it, I found that really distracting. Um, and when the riff comes in uh, on on high water, I was like, "This is good." But again, I think you've heard that exact dynamic at least four times on that album already. Mm. Uh, you get some dirt, some quote unquote dirty, shouty vocals for a little bit as well, which is which is always good. Um, I like those as well. And actually, they haven't explored like this. Feels like the most that they've explored those dirtier yeah. vocals. And and I, but it's hard, still hardly any on. The there's not very full. many. But 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 no. it, but when they do come in, as, as a result of there not being many, it does. It's very impactful. I think, even yeah. though they're very low down the mix, I still think it's quite impactful. Yeah, and I think it's weird for a band who have such a an obsessive hardcore fan base. This is what I find quite weird about Sleep Token for them to on the surface. They look cool. They seem they have a really cool aesthetic. They've got a very good idea. Everything feels like it's been perfectly produced and the people behind it incredibly talented. His voice is, like you say, very unique and distinct and just genuinely he has got a really, really great voice. But I do think when you sit down and you scratch below the surface and go, what's actually going on here? It's not, it's, for me, it's, not, it's just not enough. Hmm. It's just not enough. I mean, we are 
obligated to, to, to pull this apart in this manner because we're reviewing it. Mm. And I think when and I think if you do do that, it doesn't stick up to the scrutiny. Hmm. And I think if you casually listen to Sleep Token and you have it on in the background and it just probably kind of floats in and around your consciousness, I think you listen to this album and go, what a good album. But I think if you actually sit down and listen to it, I, I think it is, you know, when you're making comparisons to Radiohead and Massive Attack mm. and mm. the Cinematic Orchestra, mm. it, 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 like for me personally, it's, that's not it's not an insult to go you're not as good as massive attack hardly anyone is mm. like, hardly anyone is but they are I, I think they're some way away in terms of the quality from that i don't hate this record i don't want to give the impression that i think this record is shit or anything mm. i think this record is just a lot of really really good ideas but made by people who don't have that special something to make really really incredible music sleep token can make good music hmm. that sounds nice but they, they they don't affect me and they don't kind of inspire me at all to be honest i i certainly think there is something to the depth conversation that you're talking about in terms of if it's if you're listening to it as a passive experience um which let's face it most of the people listening to this are going to listen to it as a passive experience because that's how the majority of people listen to music uh, I think it can sound probably grander th than it is. I hope it didn't give the impression, I don't think you're saying this, but I hope it didn't give the impression that I was suggesting it was as good as Radiohead or Massive Attack. Oh, no, 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 no. But, mm. you know, you, you put those those kind of those things out there and mm. obviously you're going to go, oh, I wonder how, like, comparatively, what is it like in comparison to, you know, well, Bonavera or whatever. And, I did. Know. I did do it somewhat on purpose um, as a means to sort of push them towards that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, if, they, if they'll listen, if they'll read it and pay attention to it, I don't know. But like, um, I, you know, I, I think, I think, um, I, and I, I do sort of say at the end that like, they they are a band who have come on the scene and become very very divisive very, very quickly. And, you know, so many of the greatest bands that, are divisive bands especially initially I, I, again when i made these comparisons i'm not saying that they're on the same level as any of these bands but system of a down slipknot code orange ghost all had a lot of controversy and all had a lot of haters around them mm -hmm. to start with um but then i think now we can say with pretty much all of them more or less i mean code orange there's still going to be some people but you know that they have cemented their place in in history in musical history as a, as a result of the stuff that they've done um i'm not saying it's a dead cert for sleep token and, and and um it's a runaway success and that that is what's going to happen but they have enough ingredients in what they do to suggest to me that that could happen if things continue along the path that they are they're not there yet but I do think this is a step closer to them getting there. And I do think the ambitions, I do think those are the ambitions um, with this band as well. Um, I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure they are. Mm. I'm sure they are. Uh, two albums in, I would have liked something a bit more. I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like when you mention bands like I mean I don't really feel that about Ghost that Ghost were musically revolutionary or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? I think Ghost just wrote really great songs. But in terms of who did you I'm say just like that they were divisive. 
Yeah, device. Yeah, no, no, yeah, they are devices. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and they have written, they have written some great, brilliant, great song. songs. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, I mean, System of a Down, you know, Slipknot, whoever else it was that you Code said, Orange. Uh, Code Orange. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm going to say nice things about Code Orange, aren't I? <laughs> um, but yeah, but certainly System of a Down or Slipknot, whoever you know, like massively divisive, but proves very early on that you know there was a kind of there was more to them than just you know that that you put the albums on and it's kind of it's very difficult to go oh well if they just tuned this a bit and did that a bit then you know but i think with sleep token there's still so many questions for me about whether or not they can actually write something really memorable like really really memorable really kind of to put them in that bracket because they do look like they want to be in that bracket. Do you know what I mean? They do look like that's that's what they're aiming. I mean, every band theoretically should be aiming for as high as they can possibly go. Mm. But Sleep Token certainly have have been put together to and and sound like something that I mean, there's, there's stuff on this that you think. Well, again, you know, we're gonna. Have this, I don't want to have this massive what would could get played on the radio conversation. But there's nothing on this that would be in any way alienating to a mainstream bbc radio audience at all like hardly any there's, there's songs with that barely feature any distorted guitar on there's hardly any non-clean singing on the record there's a very very minute amount of screamed like dirty vocals on it mm. it's yeah. actually kind of perfectly set up to um to get really big and you know they and people will be intrigued by them mm. i mean i uh, they could they, I, I can see them crossing over i can see that i can absolutely see that the one thing i can't see at the moment is them making a classic record mm. yes um, <laughs> Do you know that, what i mean yeah i mean i mean i mean i don't entirely disagree um just a couple of things i'm going to say there i mean i i pointed out the fact that sleep token have only been a band for five years and when we're talking about like system of a down and slipknot and stuff those you know slipknot have been a band for like six years before their self-titled album came out or something along those lines you know um and system were definitely a band for a good long while before their album came out i think they formed 94 or something like that and system came out 98 so you know this this stuff has happened quicker and actually um in some ways if you saw this as their debut album because that would have been around the same time that Slipknot and System would have released that in terms of like how long they've been doing it then that's suddenly a bit more impressive can this band make a classic album uh I don't know Uh, I, I think it's too early to tell still um but I wouldn't totally bet against it as of yet but yeah, I can I can see why that's a concern. I can see why it's like, oh, I'm not sure if they have that in them um, entirely yet. But we'll see, won't we? I do, and as I said, I, I do think this is a step closer to them doing that if they ever do. So mm. it's definitely I, I prefer it to the first record. Yeah, and when I first put it on, better. I was like, oh, oh, this is good. But it is, you know, I think when you get pretty deep in it, I'm I'm. Uh, there are there are songs on it that i think are really good there's nothing that i think is like oh my god wow do you know what i mean there's nothing on the record where i'm like oh my god this song is fucking incredible there are there are a lot of like seven and eight there's there are there's a lot of kind of 
sixes on this record. I think there's a few sevens and eights on the mm. record, but I'd never think anything higher than that. And, you know, for a second, that's all right. Do you know mm. what I mean? That's all right. Mm. It's just, you know, there's a lot, there's a huge weight of expectation on this band. Mm. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do feel a little bit like, oh, I, th- I, I don't know. I don't really know if I get it quite yet. Anyway, do you think that's what I think? Considering they're doing Shepherd's Bush on this album, do you think it would be if the traje- trajectory continued? Do you think it'd be crazy for them to be doing Brixton on a third album? <sighs> I don't know. Mm. I mean, I guess it depends how people take to this record, doesn't yeah. it? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would imagine if people would have gone that mad for the first album they'll go even more mad for this record because it's it's definitely better. It's definitely better. Yeah. Definitely better. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's no sense of them throwing the baby out with the bathwater or anything else. I mean, this still sounds like Sleep Token. Um, They've taken a few more risks, but they haven't taken like one gigantic stylistic risk or anything like that. So, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it went in that direction. I'll say that. Hmm. Um, I'd be surprised if they were still look, if it carries on with kind of you know putting out decent records like this for the rest of, like say they just keep kind of putting out slightly incrementally better records for a little for the next like five years or whatever mm. uh, I five six years I think I would be I'd be surprised if they'll still be if they get to Brixton on say two years from now I'd be surprised if five years after that they're still at Brixton if they mm-hmm. unless they do something really really spectacular on this next re- on the, the record after that although actually I don't even know if that's true because I don't know if people give a fuck about what stuff sounds like anymore I think they just like if they say they like Sleep Token they'll just say they like them won't they um, too many people too lots of people do just go oh I like this band so now I like everything they do forever and it doesn't matter if it's crap or not look at the reaction to the new Bring Me The Horizon video people going oh my god it's amazing no it isn't it's rubbish hmm. I, I don't know I, 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 th- I think this band do need to make an album which is even if it's not classic just like solidly oh that is a really great record in order to uh, have a long term success I do think that's probably important um I mean, there are bands that are coming to mind who haven't done that, I don't think, um, and had quite a long, sustained career. But I don't know. For some reason, I feel like Sleep Token do need to do that. And the third record is probably the time to do that, you know, the next one. So Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. Unless, uh, well, unless one of us dies in the next couple of years, which... It's 50-50. Could happen, can it? Could 50-50. happen. 50-50. Just yeah. like, a riff, like a riff on this album. Um, <laughs> this place will become your tomb by sleep token is out now let's move on to something very interesting public service broadcasting uh this is the fourth album called bright magic i was going to say this is the fourth i didn't even give it its title bright magic by public service broadcasting the fourth studio album from the uk's favorite cut and paste post something band uh we did um we, we well actually this is the follow-up to every valley of 2017 which reached number four on the uk album chart yeah it's pretty fucking impressive yeah. for a band who are rather unusual i would yeah. say um we did 
it was, was it inform educate and entertain that i it gave was, you on yes. trade off a long time ago so their debut album inform educate and entertain is a record that i gave remfrey right right back at the very very start when we started doing this podcast nigh on three something years ago um i gave you that record on trade off thinking you were going to like it and you didn't really care for it very much did you i thought it was um uh, good i thought it was absolutely fine i think i'd heard you call it fine <laughs> I knew, you'd call it, I knew you'd call it fine. I'd heard other examples of what public service broadcasting were doing, which I personally preferred that were in a bit more of a rock realm than they were an electronic realm. But I, 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 I thought that the debut public service broadcasting album was a good record, but I didn't fall head over heels for it, no. Mm. Have you gone back and listened to any of their other records post this? I haven't actually. So it's only this one and Bright Magic. Sorry, it's only Bright Magic, this one that we're covering now and um, mm-hmm. the debut that I'm familiar with. Okay, because I, um, I have heard all of their records. I really like this band. Um, I'm not even at this point convinced that, um, that uh, Inform, Educate, Entertain is even the best public service broadcasting uh record actually so i you know it's maybe a little bit silly of me to have given you the one that i don't even think is the best one to be honest but um i do like them as a band i do think they're very very good and i think uh they're like every valley which i mentioned um i mentioned last time which i think came out in 2018 that's a 2017 i think actually did come out in 2018 um it's got james dean bradfield on it yeah and the thing about public service broadcasting we should say is what is kind of unique about them is that they do a kind of concept album of a very very different concept every time they put a new album out so um every valley was about the kind of mining industry in the uk particularly mm-hmm. in wells really mm-hmm. hence the uh james dean bradfield thing mm-hmm. inform educate entertain was lots of samples from the kind of bfi institute of uh, and the bbc and you know kind yeah. of old mr chumley warner-esque stuff uh the race for space um, was the sort of story of the um, the American Soviet space race in the late fifties and through to kind of the mid seventies, and again was peppered with lots of. And I think that's probably my favourite one, the race the space, space one. Okay, yeah, I think it's really good. Um, it's the one yeah, that intrigues me the most. Concept, I, I, I think you'll probably like it. I think it's mm. really good. Um, I actually recently watched their performance that they did at the proms a couple of years ago when they and they did something from um the race of space and it was fucking wild nice. really great really really great got some people dressed up as astronauts coming on stage and uh, jiving about with them it was really good um so they've done a similar sort of thing with bright magic but it's it's similar, but also not similar. So Jay Wilgoose Esquire, the band's leader, has said of this record, in my head, it was whirring and pulsing away for a long time, even before every valley. This fascinating, contradictory, seductive place. I knew the album was going to be a, be about a city and its history and its myths, and I was going to move there. So it's quite a personal story. I've said this a lot. It's become an album about moving to Berlin to write an album about people who moved to Berlin to, to write, write an, an album. album. <laughs> yeah. So... This is about Berlin, essentially. Yeah, quite magic. And this I, is the Ber- the public service broadcasting Berlin record. Yeah, and I have to say, I'm super happy that you read the press notes there, Stephen. Well done. Um, but also, um, I think the theme of the concept we sometimes talks about 
This isn't an entirely instrumental record, although a lot of it is instrumental, but we sometimes talk about instrumental records that try to like convey a narrative or a story or a theme. Um, and I listened to this album two or three times before I even read the press notes. And immediately within the first minute or so knew that this record was not specifically about uh, not specifically about berlin but about germany um that was so crystal clear throughout the entire record i mean that a lot of the lyrics are in german so that was a bit of a giveaway and a lot of the vocal samples are in german not all of them but a lot of them are um but Actually, even if you took those samples away, I think I would have guessed that this was about Germany in some way, shape or form. Because there is a Krautrock-esque vibe to this record. And even the synths used on this record feel Germanic in some way. And I think, you know, we have moaned in the past about um, bands not sort of utilizing their theme and running it through their music in the past but i don't think that's something you can say of this record at all i think it's really successfully captured the theme that they are trying to encapsulate um mm-hmm. w- but within the music itself so yeah me too fucking a i mean star for that i mean just reading through the press notes afterwards which i did do because you know i was like i want to get this like make sure i was on the right page of this because i knew like you said, I knew as soon as I played it, I was like, okay, well, the concept is obviously some kind of autobahn thing, Quite, <laughs> right? Exactly. So uh, they name-checked 80s Depeche Mode. Specifically, I'm assuming that would be Construction Time Again, Some Great Reward and Black Celebration, as they were all rec- recorded in uh, in Berlin. Actung Baby by U2. And Low and Heroes by David Bowie were the albums that they kind of wanted to reference as, I guess, kind of um, British and Irish bands going to that country and kind of immersing themselves in the culture um we mentioned sort of samples you know that was the big thing for me they used to have a lot of old school samples in their previous records um again not so much um uh, with the james dean bradfield s stuff on every valley uh it wasn't there maybe quite as much um this doesn't really use they are still there but i think they're they're used a lot more sparingly than they ever have been particularly on their first two records you know, particularly on their first two records, they used a lot more sparingly. And there's a lot of actual guest vocalists on the records um, this time. I thought that kind of made them very unique from other artists, public service broadcasting, that they had a lot of that kind of that, that kind of cut and paste sampling stuff in and amongst this particular style of music. But um, they've got some great guests on this record. Mm. And one of them, Blixer Bargeld of mm. um, Einstein, Naubauten and The Bad Seeds, who's just so perfect for this record and mm. puts in the most kraut rock performance you could imagine yeah. and the kind of craft working vibes that populate um the bits of their material from the past have just been upped to a tremendous tremendous effect on this record uh you get the kind of opening um der sumpf which is a lovely wash of synths basically but there's for some lovely Vangelis Blade Runner esque yeah, I've going written Blade Runner about four fucking times. Yeah, in this, yeah. In if you like, and I mean, yeah, you know I, what I, we mean. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I know it's done to death, but it is done very well on this record. Mm. I must say. Mm. And um, when that kind of sparkling post punk of Im Licht comes in, it's got this kind of massive futuristic swelling, building skyscraper thing. 
um i was like shit i think i'm gonna really like this record immediately so was i yep. <laughs> yeah yeah and then um it's really like i think it hits a pretty fucking incredible peak with uh Dirhythmus Dimansian and People Let's Dance those two back to back I'm going to chuck in Blue Heaven which we'll talk about in a minute which is quite different oh, yes. but um Dirhythmus Dimansian uh that is the one with Blixer on and that like I said I mentioned the Autobahn I mean that has got that this kind of train-like momentum behind it and when the synth grooves come in and you're just like this is pure craft work worship but with this great kind of guitar riff tagged onto it you get that amazing robotic vocal that kind of uh, yeah remorselessly like straight-faced germanic uh inhuman like droid like vocal it's fucking great like it's so great there was so much i think even by this point what three songs in four songs yeah. in um i think even by this point i was pretty convinced that i was gonna love this album but i would have put hundreds of pounds down on you liking it because there was so much stuff that had come up which was is a bit of you especially with your recent sort of craft work discography worship and stuff like this that like the, uh, uh, but it is done to a brilliant brilliant standard i mean it's a really even in those first three tracks they show off a lot of different things that they can do but all that feel very built in around the theme that they're exploring um there was a really funny thing that i just picked out of the press notes that wugu said about blixer uh, in the press notes he said he doesn't suffer fools blixer but he went into it in a really flexible and collaborative spirit Boris, the engineer, turned to me at one point and said, I am enjoying seeing you have an intense experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> fair play to them for getting Blixer Bargeld on, who, who uh, yes, uh, doesn't have a reputation for being easy to work with, it must be said. Mm. But yeah, that's that's really fucking awesome. That The Krautrock type feel on uh, Let's Dance it's fucking great i mean oh. it's more you more a bit of you than it is a bit of me but i've got to admit this is really fucking good i do wonder if the title's a nod to bowie's let dance album or period it certainly has that day glow 80s feel mm -hmm. i think bowie was going for in that period of career but you must be a mark for that song surely people let's dance is the name of the song and yes people this is dance, one sorry. of my let's uh just get this out this is one of my favorite songs of the entire year Renfrey. fucking great yeah uh, for a be. lot of reasons like a kind of german new order um and you can feel the area that they are trying to inhabit you can see you know the the the, the streets of berlin in 1984 in your mind as you listen to it it's it's a it's a fucking club song it's and, a brilliant song it's you know fantastic. you could you could go yeah you know this is a pastiche or a piece of mimicry of an already established of an established style but they get it so right and the vocalist on this is a, a german artist called um era uh, mm. who i'm not familiar with is -E apparently R A. yeah uh, but she appears she appears a couple of times on this record she does yeah um she's apparently reworking the melody from depeche mode's people are people yes i read that yeah which i didn't uh, pick up on i, I have to admit i didn't yeah. i didn't instantly i actually think it's more in the like last part of the music mm. than it is in the vocals because mm. i was like there's definitely something to that there uh, i didn't notice it first of all so i think it's actually brilliantly subtle um you don't want to i mean again like i'm not 
the difference between doing that and like and going oh that's actually lifted from another song but i didn't immediately notice it to me is better than going this sounds like something but i don't know what it sounds like because yeah. it just sounds like lots of things yeah. to go back to you know what i was just saying with sleep token um and and that's why i think this is a lot better to be perfectly honest it's fucking brilliant i mean like you say you're four songs in and it's been four very different types of things and it's kind of crescendoed to an unbelievably joyous place mm. for me anyway and then mm. you get blue heaven which sounds like you know something from lost in translation like a kind of dream pop song i know lost in translation obviously is japan but yeah even that that kind of dream pop thing again the vocalist is andreva casablanca who again i'm not familiar with but this is a really cool song and it sort of melds that 90s riot girl shoegaze thing with the same stylized kraut rock rhythm that we were talking about before and like huge washes of sci-fi synthesized um not even beats but just tones and chords and it's great it's fucking great you said uh, people let's dance is one of your favorite songs of the year i think my blue heaven may be one of my favorite songs of the year uh dream pop as you say big bold brash 80s electro pop uh i think this song is fucking brilliant i think it's beautiful and Draver's casablanca's vocal is just heavenly it's gorgeous i feel like it's a song that you can envelop yourself in almost it's just absolutely beautiful i love that song it's fucking amazing um you know there is it does kind of take a little dip in terms of the uh the intensity shall we say uh, around this point doesn't it gib mir das licht is even more kind of delicate and ethereal really cool lovely bit of sax on that song yeah yeah it's probably not quite as berlin-y i don't think as the other stuff on the album if that's a word no but, well um, again uh, i kind of got images of deckard's apartment in blade runner when listening to that maybe yeah. because of the sax i'm not sure but um yeah. i liked it i like it a lot mm. me too and then you get like full-blown blade runner synths on the visitor um you know massive drums piercing penetrative synth chords really kind of epic and glacial and it's fucking great and it kind of the the whole album ends with a three-part uh song called lickspiel which starts with yeah which starts with sort of stripping everything away and then um getting kind of militaristically in the second part with this kind of really i mean this record production wise it sounds so lush and beautiful and i'm not sure it ever sounds more luscious than it does with that kind of robot synth drum pattern working in tandem with those vocals and that yeah. those guitar parts, like it, it's really, really amazing. And then the third part, it's a lot of actual, you know, kind of piano. It just sort of noodles and fizzles out very kind of slowly, but surely you kind of see it kind of like evaporate, but you kind of hear it evaporate. Um, it's just great. It's yeah. like it's such a, it's such a brilliant. When you see people do like, I mean, we spoke about this with Vermilion, parts one and two. Mm when we did the Slipknot special recently and you're like, isn't it great how you can morph a song into something else? And that lick spill, like I think every part of the three parts would work in isolation, but put together. Yeah. 
It sounds fucking amazing. Yeah, it's a beautiful way to end the record. I, I, I think, I mean, <clears throat> when you brought well, it's in... It's not even the end of the record, is it? Because there's Ick Undestad with uh, Nina mm. Hoss. Yeah, yeah, which is which also is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think when you brought in their first album for Trade Off, you know, there were, there were a lot of bits that I liked on the record, um, but it wasn't quite enough. I didn't quite like it enough to bother to check out public service broadcasting beyond that but this has completely changed my mind on that now i mean i'm gonna check out that space race one uh because that's right up my alley um but yeah i mean i, th- I think this is a, a clearly a much better record than their debut um as you would hope uh four albums in um and i think they've captured what they're trying to do really really quite beautifully it's um mm. it's a really really great record and i feel like i've missed out on this band a little bit now yeah they're, so, they're really yeah. good um i'm gonna try and give it a little bit of criticism because i really love oh, okay. it okay Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and paint a little bit of criticism from it, right? This okay. is very much a li- this is very much a bit of me. But is there a case to be said, Renfrey, that this is as opposed to taking British mining towns, space race, the birth of the the BBC, and creating a musical tableau and a musical language around those ideas? Mm. Um, there is already musical ideas exist from the city of Berlin, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so we know what the music of Berlin sounds like. Uh, and this is what the music of Berlin sounds like. So making an album about that, we've already got loads of albums that have been inspired by that place. It's still great. I mean, it's, like, I still think the album is great. You're saying it's a less original idea. It's a less original concept than what they've I'm done saying in the past. That, yeah, I'm saying that conceptually, usually you would listen to something and you'd go, ah, yes, look how brilliantly they have imagined uh, what that would, what the sound of that uh, environment would be. Mm. Whereas here... We already know what the sound of that environment would be. Uh, and it's very good. But it's slightly less unique because somebody has already created that that world for them. That's already been created. I mean, I think that's undoubtedly true, but it doesn't actually deter um, from my enjoyment of the album personally because I think they put enough of their own stamp on this record. I can see how this is influenced by David Bowie's Low and I can see how it's influenced by those al- uh, you know, the other albums that they mentioned. What were the other two albums that they mentioned? Depeche Mode. Well, it's the first three Depeche Mode albums in Acting Baby. That's right. Yeah, I can, I can see all of that but I think they put their own stamp on it so I, I see what you're saying but it doesn't mm-hmm. particularly bother me, I have to say. Well, I, I mean, it doesn't bother me in the slightest when I listened to the record, I just thought it was something that, well, you know, as mentioned before, again, with Sleep Token, it is our job to kind of at least pose these questions. Oh, it's definitely worth mentioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. So I thought I would, I thought I would pose that as a question. For what it's worth, I kind of agree with you. I think the reason the album's about Berlin inspired by, by Berlin sound like that is because Berlin is such a unique city. Quite. And, um, and it it's really probably is. quite hard to escape that you know, I've been I've been to Berlin a couple of times. You've been to Berlin? I've been to Berlin once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, I don't know. Yeah, it really does. Everything's square. Yes. And you know, straight and yeah. And I can see why the music that is made from there sounds the way that it does. It's a fascinating city, Berlin, mm. full of its own very 
idiosyncratic character and i think that is captured very very well on this record i must say and for me that is enough and i know i know you're saying it's enough for you as well you're just sort of uh posing a devil's advocate kind of thing but uh yeah it's that's totally fine with me i I, i'd be happy to hear a hundred albums about berlin because i think it's a genuinely fascinating city and cult you know incredible cultural significance so yeah it's also worth saying that um this album uh comes out on um play it again sam records which is famous for a lot of quite early kraut rocky industrially post-punky avant-garde sort of bands i mean the young gods who are a big one uh were on one of their early ones like front 242 um i think mogwai put and sega rossa both put stuff out on that label before as well I believe. I can't remember, to be honest with you. I think it's quite a few. I'm looking at it now. Actually, it, uh, yeah, they've had The Darkness. How funny. Um, yeah, they've had Battle Surfers, Skinny Puppy. So, you know, uh, Public Service, uh, Rosian Murphy, Soul Wax, Adam Valley's favourite, um, Juice, Arcane Roots editors. Mm. I know they did, bro. Yeah. Ghost Poet, Jonas Policewoman, Agnes Obel, mm-hmm. Mew. Quite a lot of good shit. Lovely. Anyway, um, I just thought I'd mention that. It's not really that important, but I thought I'd mention it anyway. Uh, Bright Magic by Public Service Broadcasting is out now. Let's move on to our next record. It comes from The Body and Big Brave. It's called Leaving None But Small Birds, which is a... Is it an EP or an album? This is an album. Should you call it an album? Yeah. I think it's an album. It's seven tracks tracks and it's... um, It's quite long. It's 38 minutes, 25 seconds. I think it's an album. It's an album. So last time we spoke about The Body, it was in conjunction with their collaboration album with Emma Ruth Rundle, which made it into Renfrey's top 20 records of the year. Actually made it into quite a lot of people's top 20 records of the year. I liked it as well. Didn't make it into my top 20, but it it is very good. And they're a band who are, you know, fairly well known for doing... Uh, a myriad of different collaborative things trying to keep up with all the shit the body do is difficult it's really hard there are bands who really uh put out a lot of stuff all of the time Mm. and yeah i mean i became aware of them through their collaboration with full of hell um so yeah i think collaboration albums and collaboration projects are a really massive part of what they do i feel like they release more collab albums than they do uh, non-collab albums do they even do non-collab albums I don't even fucking know at this point yeah I'm sure they do I mean look do you know what they, they I said even if you're trying to keep up with what they're doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I can't sit here and pretend like I try that hard because you know I just get sent stuff and I pay attention I dip in and out of the body because there's so much fucking stuff to listen yeah. to there's just yeah. a lot um, but it is collaboration time with them again as you mentioned this time with the Canadian experimental doom post metal band who we reviewed earlier this year with their very good album vital and when you reviewed that on the podcast or when we reviewed it you mentioned their folksy past their early folksy past which is something which you know i remember at the time thinking wasn't super evident on vital i think you know i did mention the likes of pj harvey Joni mitchell and kate bush in that review i remember 
I do think Vital is a really, really good record. It's really one of the good. records that has stayed with me in 2021. Yeah, really um, good there are not quite a few of those records, but that's one of them as well. Um, but even, I don't think that record is as classic folk sounding as Leaving None But Small Birds. Definitely not. Um, mm. I mean, when this came up, to be totally honest with you, I the folk stuff did not come up in my mind at all. I expected that we'd get a very loud, brash, doomy, sludgy collaboration metal record between The Body and Big Brave. And I think the fact that that is completely and utterly not what we have got at all from a sonic point of view, but there are still elements of both of those bands that are retained through this folky sound, I think is just an incredible, like... That, that's brilliant that they've managed to do that absolutely incredible i don't think you you weren't expecting this this to be a folk album were you no and i think you've hit on something really really important on that and like one thing i was is i love pressing play on a record and expecting surprised. one thing and not yeah. only getting something that i wasn't expecting but getting something that i never even could have imagined yeah. in a, a, in a million years yeah. i mean the opening song the the blackest crow it's really oldsy worldsy folksy and it's beautiful it's really melodic but it's actually got a lot of darkness and you just said i think you've hit on the integral part of this is that despite the fact because a lot of folk music is really dark right let's not kind of beat around the bush and you know and be like oh it's kind of you know hippie mums and stuff like it's you know a lot of you know kind of old school folk can folk music can be a really dark form of music almost all of the storytelling in folk is mm. dark and deep and personal and like it 90 percent of it is miserable stories put yeah. to music yeah yeah and and i think you know so so they they've got that to play with within that genre and it, it makes sense i mean this is a folk song a really beautiful um elegant sounding uh, very melodic but quite dark sounding folk song but it also has the kind of drive that you would associate with the post metal scene yes. just done in a completely different form just done with acoustic guitars and mandolins and you know and <laughs> without booming massive fucking drums and i was like i really like this this Absolutely. is really really great yeah it's got um there's some beautiful violin on it and it's a very gentle piano um and i mean <clears throat> I've forgotten the name of the big brave vocalist again, which I think I did during uh, Robin Watty. Robin Watty, thank you. Um, her vocals are like equal parts Stevie Nicks and PJ Harvey, you know, which is just a fantastic, fantastic fucking voice that she's got. I absolutely love her work on this record. Um, and the Sonics may not be the usual fare for either the body or big brave, but that hypnotic pulse of the drums recalls the work of both of those bands um it's just sort of i i guess i guess in a sense the tapestry is the same but the tools that are being used to weave it are different um yeah. and i think um i i I, th I, th I think there really is that sense that even though this sounds completely different from anything that either of these bands have done to my knowledge as you say keeping up with the body's discography is quite difficult but different to anything they've done as far as i'm aware um, they still retain elements of what make those bands who they are, and I think that is really like that is an incredible achievement. <laughs> and oh, it mate, sounds it really is. 
I think we should also point out as well because when when you say folk, sometimes people can think uh, sort of one person sitting down playing a guitar kind of thing. This is very full sounding. There's always a lot of musicians playing and it's a far more kind of full band folky sort of thing. And it is rooted in a lot of traditional folk stuff, but it's also very experimental as well. I mean, there's there's a couple of tracks which are effectively just using sort of guitar feedback as a kind of extra instrument and stuff like that, which is definitely not what you would see at a traditional folk festival. So whilst the songs are very much rooted in traditional folk, and it feels like you could like sing all of them on you know one person singing in a guitar, um, there is a lot more to them. It's a much fuller sound than you may be imagining based on the picture we've painted so far. I think it's a and it, like you mentioned, like you say it's an amazing trick to be able to do something which sounds completely different to what you the type of music with, of which I would maybe don't know if this is ignorance on my part like you say with the body we're not really sure but you know it's something that I wouldn't uh, have associated them doing at all but yet at the same time it brings out you go well this is completely different but yet it points at the similarities between the two stuff the style that you're expecting and the style that they actually do. I think that's an that is an incredibly that's just a brilliant trick. Like there's no there's no clever way of saying it. That's an amazing trick. Yeah. What a great thing to do. What a fucking great thing to do to kind of do something which is which which on the surface seems so fucking alien to the type of material that you are most well known for, whilst at the same time making you go like juggernaut heavy post-metal and rootsy acoustic folk are actually really similar yeah what a mad thing to do yeah what a mad thing to do i mean i I, there's a song on it called oh sinner which i just think is just fucking amazing um rootsy country kind of twang i guess you'd say Mm -hmm. Uh, but again robin's vocal stylings on this record it's just amazing it's like i mean i actually put it's like because it's kind of nice and it's kind of easy to listen to and it's it kind of feels nice to listen to yeah it's like if the foo fighters did a, or a massive band like that did a country song yeah but let Joni mitchell sing it yeah yeah like it's, it's not a, it's not a challenge to, it's just a great song do you know what yeah. i mean it's a really really it's a really great song um and all, and all of these songs were composed in the studio as well which is apparently how the body always work but it was composed in the studio machine with magnets studio with um seth Mac- seth manchester who did daughters you won't get what you want and yeah whilst you know a daughter's comparison initially sounds a bit weird there is a sort of thread that goes throughout these songs where you can kind of hear yeah i can hear it's the producer who did that record you know but as you say it is easy to listen to you can this is you know this isn't particularly challenging i don't think this album um it is a really pleasant listening experience and it's quite quite beautiful in some places like black is the color i think is an absolutely beautiful song that industrial grind on polly gosford Sounds like something that Chelsea Wolfe would do to a folk well, I mean, I, I've said that, that that reminds me of that last Lingering Note record without ever going full blast beat, you know, yeah. screamy crazy. Yeah. It's just got this existentialist dread that yeah. it just hangs over you. It feels like a, like a lead blanket, that song. And yet, again, you're turning an existing form 
into something entirely different using a completely different set of genre principles you're taking a pre-existing set of genre principles and implying them to a completely different genre and making something fairly unique whilst also providing a really clear a b map between those two things yeah that's 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 really clever Mm. like i don't want to be like you know I I I like I really do like this record a lot, mm, but I feel like same. I'm kind of just patting it on the back and going, "Well done, you!" For <laughs> you know, for like, isn't this a clever record? Like, I don't want people. I don't want to give the impression to people like, "Oh, this is just a clever record mm. that you will look at and go, mm, how intelligent of them to do that!" Like, well done, and like stroke your chin. This is actually, you know, I mean, there's some hard shit to listen to this to to on this. I think "Hard Times" is a very odd, discordant sounding thing, and that's probably more towards what i imagined if you'd have explained what this was to me what i would have thought it was going to sound like Mm. i i I imagine um again they you mentioned the kind of um those kind of discordant guitar parts uh, and once i had a sweetheart i think it's got a lot of that and again i thought it was going to be quite a, a difficult song but then it it sort of chimes in and there's this waltz-esque folk lament beneath a fairly pretty gross sounding riff you know and when it makes that switch into the chorus it continues to it sort of drones but is beautiful and you get this vocal trade that is just really hypnotic and it's a really hypnotic song it's not again it, it it manages to juggle being very discordant and quite hard to listen to with being very very delicate and beautiful and you know and and really nice sounding and that you know it's very it's good yeah it's a really incredible record this and i love the the sense of experimentation that both these bands have but i think particularly the body like i think whenever a record of theirs or a collab album or whatever comes up it's always going to be something interesting you know and um i think that's that says an awful lot about the body and what they're trying to do and we really need a lot more bands like that in heavy music i think um and i think they've pulled this record off brilliantly um mm. like the lyrics are so beautiful as well from robin Watty, you know from polly gosford he covered her grave and hastened home leaving none but small birds her fate to bemoan like these really beautiful really folksy salt of the earth sounding lyrics I, I just think this is a triumph this record I really love it I think it's a really really beautiful album which will probably stick with me to the end of the year I think at, at the very least it's a fucking great record yeah I, I think it's really good I mean it, this is I, I don't know if I'm going to be like oh this is one of my absolute favourite releases of the year come the end of the year but it does appear to me to be one of the most surprising releases of the year and that's certainly got to count for something I think definitely yeah it's um it's really good and what we should say as well is we got this quite late because it's actually not out until next week this isn't out until next week so i mean i've only listened to it three times Mm. Mm. so i still feel like there's quite a lot more for me to um to be getting my head around really because it is you know it's hard to to kind of pick this up so quickly i've tried very 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 hard to you know to to kind of go oh god shit we need to like Mm. actually come on and talk about this so within three listens i'm like oh there's this and that and there's the other but but some of it is actually just totally lovely to listen to um yeah Mm. but it's out next week 
Yes. We should say that. Um, and when it's out, go and listen to it because it's very good. Leaving None But Small Birds by the Big the big Body and Brave. No, the Body and Big Brave. That's what they're called. That'll be out next week. This is out today, though. LLNN, Unmaker, the third full-length album from the unfathomably heavy Danish post-sludge metal arse smackers. The follow-up to 2018's Deeds. I saw this band... Uh, live and I reviewed them previously on the show they were fucking insanely brutally disgustingly heavy yeah I think I said unfathomably heavy heavy rem free and yes it is unfathomable how anything could be that heavy they are this is a massively dense oppressive stupefyingly unforgiving affair isn't it this record um but um but one of those records where like oh man well they're not gonna be able to get any heavier than this are they and then they do and then they do again oh and then they do again uh and it's just it's uh it's a pretty cataclysmic sound that llnn managed to create um but a fucking excellent one as well. It doesn't sound like they're copying other people. Like the sounds and the tones that they get are fucking nasty. Nasty, nasty tones. But they sound fucking great. They sound absolutely brilliant. Well, how would you categorize this band? Post metal? I don't know. Mm, I don't know either. D- kind of, I guess, like, do- is Doomcore uh, is Doomcore a genre? I don't think it is, but I think they could fit into it if it became one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as soon as that first riff comes in, it, it, the thing, here's what was it, is like, this is like the, the approach to me. I was like, well, I'm not saying they sound like a deathcore band, but when you have those deathcore bands that have like massive sub drops and are just, someone like Oceano who are just like going, and like, for, for fucking ages yeah. and you're like oh god but I mean, it gets a bit boring after a while mm. but there's a level of kind of gruesome discordance that those bands don't have mm. so far beyond what those bands are capable of on this record i think mm-hmm. and it's impressive that like you say they managed to start with such intensity and they crank it up again and then they crank it up again by the end of that first song it's that twice they've got heavier and it starts on like 11 out of 10 heavy. <laughs> yeah. Fucking mad ting. Yeah. And the second song, Desecrator, basically does the same thing as the yeah. last one. Yeah. In fact, they kind of do actually bleed into one another. I think on purpose. They add this kind of screaming tremolo part to all the madness. And at this point, I was like, I mean, this is just so unrelentingly remorselessly heavy like you say it was also tempting to say again just for balance well it's not that dynamically different is it you can't go we start really heavy and we get a bit more heavy well you're still really heavy there's not a lot of light and shade it's just dark and darker Mm. um but it's just so heavy that i was sort of sold by it i was like it doesn't really matter because it's so heavy I was. I mean, by the end of that song, it was just the chaos is. It's just maddeningly chaotic. Yeah, I I was still engaged with it. I mean, I think that is something that is worth mentioning, certainly. But I was still engaged with it because the first fifteen minutes of this record just feels like, how far can we keep pushing the dial, turning the dial up to the right, and how far can we keep 
pushing this extremity. And then around track four and vacuum, there's there's a bit of a respite um, from the kind of sonic maelstrom. And I think if if they'd gone if they'd gone much more further with it, then I might have got a bit of impatient with it. But I do actually think they time it quite well. Um, and it shows as well that vacuum. I mean, even when they're showing restraint, LLNN are sinister as fuck. <laughs> you know, like it never kind of, it never creates a nice, pretty world for you to be in. Maybe with the exception of the final track, but we'll get onto that later. Um, but I do, I do think I, I don't think this is a very diverse record, and I actually think it's a hell of an undertaking. It's just shy of forty minutes, which isn't very long, but when it's this oppressive. <laughs> It does. This is one of those albums that does actually feel longer than it is, but that's not strictly a bad thing. I'm not actually saying that as a criticism. Um, I don't think the album's too long, um, but it f- it feels longer than 40 minutes. This album, doesn't it, Steve? Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, but I don't just, think that's I a think bad some thing. Of the, some of the some of the songs feel longer than 40 minutes because they just beat the <laughs> living shit out of you, and it fucking it hurts. Like that song, Sky On which is really like a really cool kind of amalgam of you know these paint stripping vocals massive like desecrating riffs and some sort of sci-fi thing and and the yeah. riff seems to change with every literally every repetition of the riff it changes slightly and then a massive bell comes in yeah it's like hitting a bell like acdc uh doesn't really sound like acdc admittedly but it just makes it sound even more horrible but you listen to that and you're like this song must be like eight minutes long and uh no it's not eight minutes long it's three minutes and 24 seconds exactly fucking hell fucking hell really and you, do, you you feel like you've been put through the ringer, and it is knackering. I mean, it's a knackering record. It is actually. It's yeah. a knack, knackering record. I mean, there's the shit on it that I absolutely love. Like Interloper has this kind of icy, mysterious opening, and this fucking earthquake riff, and they kind of show a you know for them a remarkable amount of restraint on that song because when it does finally come crashing down on you, it just makes it sound so powerful, and you get this kind of electronic midsection. And I felt like it was going to be too long because it's quite a lot to take in in five minutes. But the little kind of blast beat right at the end, Mm. what they do do well, I think, is when you get to the point, you're like, fucking hell, this is five minutes and it's a lot of stuff. But then they'll chuck in something really cool towards the end. Um, The riff on Forger towards the end, it, it literally sounds like a chainsaw hitting a human skull. It is so 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 fucking savage i think it's the best they did record this album on a farm and they did record a circular metal saw and modulated it and layered those sounds over sort of other heavily treated recordings of industrial tools yes didn't know that um so when you say that it might literally be not the sound of a head hitting a saw, but it might be literally the sound of a circular saw. Yes. Wow. I mean, it's so savage. I think it's the best riff on a record packed full of ri- mm. just riffs. It's not. It might, it's not one for. Might grandma, be the most. It? <laughs> no, it might be the most intense moment on what is comfortably one of the most intense records of the year. Like the yeah. whole song is mental, but when that last riff comes in at the end, I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and also, like, all this is um, sort of 
underpinned with a performance from the vocalist i've forgotten his name i'm sorry but he sounds like he's trying to puke up a lung the majority of the time on this record and i mean it's really impressive it's sort of similar to colin from armin ra the weight like just the sheer intensity intensity and not holding back at all i mean it's amazing like it is amazing it's amazingly impressive this album and i do actually think that they managed to get it right in terms of the time the timing of the album and how long it is and all that sort of thing i think 40 minutes is pretty much like the apex of what one can handle in this kind of extremity but i think i think they get out just in time um and they finish this things off with that subtle instrumental piano led track resurrection which is a kind of <sighs> at the end you always normally moan about metal bands putting a kind of quiet bit at the end though I think it's in this case I think it's needed. <laughs> so I'm not always against that. Um uh, yeah, there is a there is a sense of that. Um I suppose really more it's more metal bands always doing their experimental one at the end of the of the album and I don't feel like Resurrection's an experimental track. I just feel like it's a sort of exhalation of outro yeah yeah almost you know it's instrumental it's two and a bit minutes you know i wouldn't call it experimental it's very minimal minimalist in its composition and blah 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 um but you know i think i was i was really impressed with their 2018 record deeds i i think did i not bring it on here for a catch-up and we covered it and we were like yeah this is fucking amazing I thought that's when we reviewed Can't it. Can't remember. It would have been very early days if I had, but um, haven't had an opportunity to see them live yet. Um, although I'm very much looking forward to. I'm assuming they sound absolutely crushing live. Yeah, I mean they. I I was. It's not often that I see a band, a heavy band, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is really heavy. Do you mm. know what I mean? I sort of feel like I've heard, and but I do remember being like, this is so intense. Mm. It's so intense. I mean, again, I'm going to do a little devil's advocate thing here. Approach-wise, I think they are heavier, and I think they've got a little bit better a grasp of dynamics. But ultimately, like, they're all about kicking your fucking head in, in with riffs, right? Is this not really the, like, you know people like to be snobby about something like Die Artist Murder, right? Mm. Now, I'm not saying that Die Artist Murder are a more interesting band or whatever than LNN. But the approach is fairly like they're both aiming the, the the bow is both is cocked in that direction for both of them right pretty much um, i mean i think that is murder more interested in you know choruses and hooks i think than lnnnr mm. but um but that's not and that's not even true of, of all deathcore bands but this whole thing of like you know this is a very kind of like you know they're a very cool underground worthy you know name for sort of uh more of the sort of hipster metal crowd to embrace mm. whereas you know shit like white chapel or mm. oceano or dieters murder or whoever are seen as like you know dumb monster energy chugging dickheads mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are they that different really well i made this comparison on the slipknot special and i think it's probably relatively apt here in that they do similar things, but I think Thy Art is Murder, for me, are slasher horror, whereas LLNN are a bit more psychological. So you could say it's within the same field and they're aiming for 
a similar result maybe but it does feel a little bit more um in your uh, just more in your head i suppose i mean do you understand what i'm trying to say with that I understand what you're trying to say, but I think there's so much like not even slasher, but club you the back of your fucking head in, stove your head in with an anvil. Like mm. most of this record is like, uh, I would say there are. I don't want to give the impression that there are absolutely no subtleties at all on this record, mm. because I think occasionally they do they do do the correct thing, which is to chuck in a little bit of electronics to yeah. like let the the song breathe a little bit. But yeah. I would say. Pff, 75 percent of it is not that you know 75 percent of it is just probably it's just yeah yeah it's just stamp your head into the wood chipper i mean know? we should make the distinction that thyra's murderer death metal kind of thing and this is you couldn't call this death metal it's not like no no you couldn't call it death metal but then i don't i mean you call it i call it that murder death core that's obviously fine, because whatever. yeah death core but it's all about but that 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 death core thing is about like going bang 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 and then and then just how fucking insanely stupidly heavy can we try and be yeah and i think this does do that as well it does it you know obviously it does do it in a different way but i do think again if you played this to 93 percent of the population of planet earth and you played them (laughs) that is murder as well they'd go they sound exactly the same to me. Exactly oh, the same. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, mm. I mean, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're getting at. I, I find LLN more satisfying, personally. Um, and it's difficult to summarise why that is. I think it's something... I think there's something in that kind of psychological versus slasher horror analogy thing um, that is there. But, I mean, I... I you know, Thyre as Murder is not a band that came up when I was listening to this album, to be totally honest. It's not a band that was conjured in my mind. I see why you've done it, and I get it. I get where you're coming from. But it's not what I immediately think of when I listen to LLN and LN at all. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think this album, like, it definitely does what it sets out to do. And it is... It feels... It, it, it does feel more individual than Thy Art's Murder, I'll say that as well. Like, the actual guitar tones and the actual sound of the album does feel more like them. Yeah, no, 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 I, I do as well. I think they've got a... Uh, for uh, It's a difficult thing to do, to just play riffs that are tuned to, like, drop... Was this drop a. P? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> 16 string guitars, drop P <laughs> tuning. Like, the strings literally dragging four foot behind you um yeah and just smash the shit out of your guitar in mm. a multitude of ways and yet still go ah uh, yes that is kind of markedly obvious as a particular band quite i, get, I think I LLN, i think ellen yeah, they've got a bit of that, yeah. that yeah which is a hell yeah. of a thing to say like because like you say it's it's not death metal it's not hardcore it's not deathcore it's not death metal it's not really doom it's not really sludge it's not really that kind of weird, chaotic, convergy, post, well, not post hardcore, but but metallic hardcore. Um, the closest I got was saying it's post metal played through full of hell's instruments. Yeah, that's not bad. It's not bad. Doomcore. I'm calling it now, lads. Doomcore. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I finally invented a genre. Yeah. <laughs> Have I? I thought There's you invented Staglecore back in the early noughties. No, we were um, we were uh, uh, progressive melodic noisecore, oh, if you yeah, remember yeah, rightly. Yeah, of course, yeah. How can I forget? No, we, were, we were only really three letters of that entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's fine anyway Unmaker by LNNN is out right now go give it a little listen anyway we'll be back next week that's the end of the show by the way thank you very much for listening um, if you'd like to go over to our Patreon page patreon.com forward slash right act podcast we will um, have you listening to that Slipknot special within seconds of you signing up that's what we hope to happen so go over and have a little listen and Lauren Hill will be uh, will be coming hot on its heels hopefully um i do i'll do my best this is where i start making all kinds of pathetic excuses as to why i haven't done mine and remember you can blame me well i wonder i, I, I wonder if we should point out that um i'm popping off on my holly bobs um for just don't a... call it holly bobs <laughs> oh fucking hell live laugh love bollocks <laughs> Uh, I'm going away for a few days. Uh, yeah, to that's better. So, um, so that might, uh, if if things do go back a day or two next week, too, please do bear with us. But you know, they'll they'll probably be fine. We'll see. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, crazy frogs on the uh, the broken records this week. Uh, so that'll be good. And we'll be back next week with some music. I don't know what we're reviewing next week. You can read. You'll be able to see it yourself when it comes up on your little podcast feed. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.